I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God, greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We're continuing our look at the kings of the northern kingdom, uh, uh, which was called Samaria and Israel both as opposed to the southern kingdom, which was based in Jerusalem and was frequently referred to as the kingdom of Judah. So we're looking at that in um, 2 Kings 17, verses 24 to 41. We're also continuing in Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 7, verses 35 to 31, 25 to 31, and then Matthew's gospel, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. So what we've got is sort of the end of the this northern kingdom. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, which are parts of the Assyrian Empire, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the peoples of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. Now, I had to quickly just make this one little point that has pretty much nothing to do... <laughs> with this lesson, but but it will give you a little bit of background and historical context. And so that this kingdom of Samaria, remember in John 4, Jesus goes and he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. And then later he uh, tells a parable of the good Samaritan. Okay, these are the remnant from the northern kingdom that they are the people who um, who Jesus runs into there. They believe themselves to be the true Israel. And so they believe that they have the truth and that the ones in the southern kingdom from Judah are the ones who have have strayed from the truth. But those Samaritans are the remnant of these people, what they would consider themselves to be the holy remnant. And they're the ones to whom when Jesus speaks to the woman at the well, he says, you worship, you know not what. Salvation comes from the Jews. They, the Samaritans, only have the Torah, only the first five books of Moses, the prophets and all that stuff. They don't believe any of that is real because they believe themselves to be the true Israel. And so those prophets didn't speak to them or for them. So that's who these Samaritans are. There were some who remained as the holy remnant as opposed to the rest that we're going to hear described in this passage. So at the beginning of their dwelling there, these foreigners, they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them because it's his land. So the king of Assyria, and they're polluting the land in the same way the previous inhabitants had polluted the land with their idol worship. So the king of Assyria was told, the nations you've carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria don't know the law of the God of the land. So that he's moved these people from his own places down there to repopulate the land in order to take it over. And so he's told, hey, there's a problem down there because they don't know the law of the God of the land. Because what they believed in was a territorial God. And clearly, there, there's some benefit to knowing that God because he, he retains some power, even though the king of Assyria has sort of greater power would be the way that they would feel about it. 
So therefore he has sent lions among them, and behold, they're killing them because they don't know the law of the God of the land. This, that, that refrain is repeated over and over. Then the king of Assyria commanded, send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there. So send one of those priests from Israel down there and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So they believe that he has only this territorial power, and the belief would be because they were carried away into exile, not realizing that it was God's will that that be exactly what happened. And it's exactly what Pharaoh believed. And, and so when, the, when they wanted to go a three days distance out of Egypt in the Exodus, he saw that as saying, we're going to go worship another god, and you don't have any power three days journey from here. He said, so every but... <laughs> so the some one of the Samar- so some of the Samaritans uh, priests, I mean, that they had carried away from Samaria, came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. But important word, every nation still made gods of its own and put them in the shrines and the high places that the Samaritans had made every nation in the cities in which they lived. And so these nations who have been dispossessed and moved down to Samaria, they are setting up wherever they are. They're setting up their own little shrines. And so the men of Babylon made Sukkoth Benoth, the men of Kuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nebaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvites burned their children in the fire to Adramelech and Anamelech, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they're polluting the land with these idols and the worship that they're giving these idols. They also feared the Lord and appointed for themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. He's speaking here about these Israelites, these who are there, have, have now been corrupted, and they look like all the other nations. To this day, they do according to the former manner. They don't fear the Lord, and they don't follow the statutes or the rules of the law, the commandment that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, which he, whom he named Israel. The Lord made a covenant with them and commanded them, You shall not fear other gods, or bow yourselves to them, or serve them, or sacrifice to them, but you shall fear the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm. You shall bow yourselves to him, and to him you shall sacrifice. And the statutes and the rules and the law and the commandment that he wrote for you, you shall always be careful to do. You shall not fear other gods, and you shall not forget the covenant that I've made with you. You shall not fear other gods. Could this be clearer? But you shall fear the Lord your God, and he will deliver you out of the hand of all your enemies. However... They would not listen, but they did according to their former manner. So these nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise, and their children's children, as their father did, as they do to this day. In other words, they lost. They're completely lost. They have assimilated into all the other nations. They've assimilated their worship into um, the worship of Yahweh, and so it's become syncretistic, which is to say there is no worship. If you believe in everything, you don't believe in anything. And so that's exactly what's happened here in this northern kingdom. They're lost. These are the, the lost tribes of Israel. <clears throat> and, and they are. There's this one little remnant, though, the Samaritans, that we meet in the gospel, but not just in the gospel. There's one other place we meet the Samaritans. We meet them in the book of the Acts. Remember, so Jesus goes out there and they begin to put their trust in him. These people in this one Samaritan village, at least, put their trust in Jesus. And then later, after the persecution breaks out, after the stoning of Stephen, then 
Philip, the deacon, not the apostle, goes to the Samaritans and proclaims the gospel there, tells them the rest of the story. And what happens is they turn to the Lord. So they are a remnant. They are the lost sheep of Israel. They are, are, are as important in, in the way that Jesus moved through his life as the, the lost sheep of Israel. And so those Samaritans he affirms as believers and part of the nation, but they, but they need the rest of the story. And so we meet these Samaritans. So there is a remnant that persisted for about 800 years, and they persist to this day. In fact, as recently as 10 years ago, I remember seeing that they were actually the single most um, homogenous group in DNA on the face of the earth. They, they didn't intermarry with anybody else. It was becoming quite a problem after a few thousand years that they didn't intermarry with anybody else. But they, but they kept themselves apart and separate. So even in this, this scenario we just read about in this passage from Second Kings, there is a remnant. And that remnant hold, held on to what they had. And what they had was, was sound. It was the covenant that the Lord had made. And so they just needed a fuller explanation because they had kept themselves separate based only on the Torah. They had kept themselves separate and then they were regathered in through Jesus. So <clears throat> the true Messiah. So here we go. We're going to move on forward now. I just needed to give you that historical context for all this. It was It's important so that when you read the New Testament, you recognize who these people are. So we move in now to, into Matthew's gospel, and it's, it, Jesus is continuing with the Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Man, in this time, do we need to hear that? Do we need to hear the words, don't be anxious about your life? I mean, it seems like that, that we're constantly anxious about our lives right now, and we've been told to be anxious about our lives and about everybody else's life as well. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or your body or what, you, what you'll put on. Well, if you collected pretty much consumerism <laughs> of the 21st century into one little basket, that would be it, right? Um, but we, we're into craft this and craft that and, and uh, all these crazy sort of gourmet restaurants where, where they will put a little – uh, gold foil in things and, you're, and, and this macroscopic um, tiny little amount of food is, is costs a fortune. And so we, we've got our priorities so completely out of whack that it's unbelievable. Um, and, and the clothing. and all, I mean, so it's, is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? <clears throat> Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I mean, you can trust him. If he cares, because he says, are you not of more value than they? And that's an important point in our society today because there are people who don't recognize that we're of more value than the birds of the air. Because all life is the same. No, that's not the message of the Bible. That's not Jesus' message. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? anxiousness and anxiety are, are the bane of the existence of most people in the 21st century. We have so many people who are taking so much anxiety medicines and everything else that it's unbelievable. If you wanted to, to choose one word that explains our, our uh, season in time, the word would be anxiety, particularly in the West. 
And there's so much that people can be anxious about. They can be anxious about COVID. They can be anxious about elections. They can be anxious about terrorism. They can be anxious. I mean, everything causes anxiety, it seems. And one of the things with COVID, one of the things there is that if you aggregate some things, then what you see is the second most uh, prevalent comorbidity on those who die is fear and anxiety disorders right after morbid obesity. And so here we get this this thing. Jesus is telling you, stop this. And if you believe in and trust in the sovereignty of God and the eternality of God that he was before and goes all the way into the future, into the, into the eternal future, that, then you can rest in the one who's got all things in his hands. And, and he says, um, can, why are you anxious about clothing? Seriously? I mean, that's the most important thing that you've got going on, fashion. He says, consider the lilies of the field. They grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, won't he much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Those are the things that obsess people who are, who are not characterized by being in covenant with God. And your Heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Be single-minded about seeking after the kingdom of God. Is all he's saying. Be single-minded. Keep your focus in the right place. In other words, pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but also mean it. And also live it. He says, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And he doesn't just give that advice. He's actually going to do something about it. His prescription for that is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the infilling in our lives of the Holy Spirit, which, are, which is there to keep us from all that anxiety. And so Paul goes on in, the, in this epistle today in 1 Corinthians, now concerning the betrothed, the engaged, I have no command from the Lord. He hasn't told me exactly what I should give, advice I should give. He said, but I give my judgment as one who, by the Lord's mercy, is trustworthy. I think that I have something to say here that's of value. I, I wouldn't say it if I didn't think that. He said, I think in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. So the, the present distress would be the persecution of the churches and the likelihood that Jesus is going to come back soon. He says, are you bound to a wife? Well, don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you haven't sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she hasn't sinned yet. <laughs> but those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you these. You're going to have other anxieties. You're going to add anxiousness to anxiousness if you get married. And he said, I would just spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short for Jesus to return. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Let those who mourn as though they weren't mourning. Those who rejoice as though they weren't rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who dwell deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of the world is passing away. It, what he's saying is, is, is that, that don't concern yourselves with all these things. Don't let them make you anxious. Don't let them be the primary thing and the real focus. Just do these things. In, in this little book that I've commended before, The Practice of the Presence of the Lord by uh, Brother Lawrence, which was written in about the 13th century, that it, it's exactly the advice that he gives, and he gives very practical advice about how to do that very thing, 
how to live in the midst of the world and continue to do the things that you have to do while at the same time remaining constant in prayer. So you're remaining in the presence of God. You're setting that as the primary thing, he says, and then you trust the Lord that everything else will be done well because you're in his presence. And so you do all things according to the way that it should be done because you're remaining in his presence. And that's exactly the message of all this. We must remain rooted in the Lord in all that we do. We must stand in him, stand in the revealed truth of the word of God, stand in Jesus, the one who has revealed God's love for us on the cross, who has further revealed that that love perseveres into eternity. And if we are in him, we will as well. And if you believe that, then what are you anxious about?